Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Gillian Fitzpatrick, the founder and MD at Balter Media. Gillian, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's good. It's good to be here. I'm a big fan of the show, so it's nice actually to be now on it. Appreciate that. Um, we're going to spend the first couple of minutes getting to know you, and then we'll move into other areas, but let's start with that. Um, did you grow up in Dublin? I grew up in Dublin, yeah. I've lived in Dublin all my life. I had a brief um, Erasmus period in, in Rome initially, but other than that, I've been, I've been in Dublin. Grew up kind of out in the suburbs, out Fox Rockway. Then when I was about 14, moved in towards Renla and I've kind of stayed in that in that spot of the, of the city ever since. So uh, Renla, then I was at Mines for a while and now I'm in Terranier, so not too far away. Nice. Tell me, what was life like growing up in the early days, early childhood up to teens to, to early 20s? What was it like? Any fond favourite memories? Oh, look, it was it was great. It was a it was a typical Irish or Dublin childhood anyway. I think, you know, it was a, a like a semi-detached house out in the suburbs. Dad was at work. Mom was at home. Um, you know, nice garden to run around the place with your with your siblings. So, yeah, it was a, it was a blissfully uneventful childhood in the best possible way. Um, probably like a lot of families in the kind of 90s, you know, we weren't going abroad on, on big holidays. So it was packing up the car out to La Hinch, um, you know, to Kerry and having three weeks over the summer, you know, to, to run around in the, in the fresh air. So, yeah, it was in the best possible way. I think a, a, a typical childhood um, and a great one. Nice. People can, you mentioned your parents, but people can usually pick out like a handful of people, one to five people that have had a massive impact in their early stage of life that helped them become the person who they are today, whether it's like an acquaintance, a close friend, a teacher, a parent. Um, does any one spring to mind for you? Oh, I, I, I think my my mom and dad, I, I better not single one out over the other, but, um, you know, they're very, very different people, but, um, but, you know, each of them, I think, really, really strong, really powerful, really um, able and ambitious in their own way. I mean, as I said, my mom didn't work when when I was growing up, but she did go back to college later on when I was in my, my teen years and, and she did a four year degree. She went on and did a master's and, and she, you know, she qualified and she created a career for herself in her in her 50s, you know, and, and is still working now, like in, in, in her late 60s. Um, my dad, uh, you know, worked in like the insurance financial sectors. Um, had a, a really successful career, set up his own business at one stage. That didn't work. Um, and, you know, he ultimately went back then to work in within finance. But, um, you know, to see someone take the plunge like that and to give it a go and to, I suppose, not not wonder about the what ifs, but to to try something, you know, though, even though the outcome probably wasn't what maybe he expected or what he hoped for. It was still something that was that was good to witness. What are your parents' names? Irene and Richard. Well, shout out to Irene for continuing to study and, and get a degree yes. and uh, Richard for taking the plunge. It's not easy to do. Um, talking about college, actually, I see that you have a degree from UCD. I'm reading from a screen here, English, Greek and Roman civilization. Then you went on to do a master's in journalism. Um, so two kind of, a two part question. One, why did you choose that? Was there any influence or moment in your life that you're like, journalism is what I want to do? Um, 
Yeah, I'll leave it there. Like, where did your interest in journalism come from? Because I know I looked at your LinkedIn and I see that you were a reporter for the University Observer while at UCD. I don't know if that tests and that where yeah, you found your love so, for media. Look, I obviously did a very general arts degree, um, partially because I wasn't really sure of what I wanted to do. Uh, mm-hmm. I also did my leaving cert back in 2002. And look, the country was in a good place economically at that stage. Um, and there was a good amount of optimism. And truthfully, I didn't feel a lot of pressure at 18 after my leaving cert to have to go and do a very specialized degree or to have to know at 18 exactly what I wanted to do with my life. So it was great to have that sense of freedom, I think, to be able to go into a general degree. Um, but when I was in, I mentioned I, I lived uh, in Rome when I did the Erasmus program via UCD and I studied at a university in, in Rome. And when I was there, uh, Pope John Paul II died. Um, and what I witnessed as part of that was just an absolute media frenzy. And I'd never seen anything like it. And look, truthfully, it wouldn't happen like that now because we're all so, we're all so immersed in smartphones and, and in our digital selves. But at the time when he died, you know, it was slightly pre-smartphone era and it was all about the, you know, the the broadcasts, the reporters outside the Vatican, lines and lines of vans from international media that had descended on the city to be able to report on, you know, what was, and I suppose the Pope still is to an extent, you know, a cultural icon, you know, an individual that is well known throughout the world, certainly Pope John Paul II was. Um, and there was huge, huge international media interest in, in his death and, and the funeral and obviously all the all the rigmarole that comes with, with the death of a Pope. Um, and just witnessing that, and I think witnessing it and, and the, the everything that went into broadcasting and to conveying and reporting on something like that to audiences around the world, really, when I got back to UCD after my Erasmus year, I thought, you know what, I want a piece of that pie, I wouldn't mind getting into media, and I, st- I started writing for the University Observer simply to, to dip my toe, to get a little bit of experience, but I also knew that if I wanted to go on and do a master's in journalism, that I'd need to have a portfolio of sorts and I'd need to be able to show some work and, and some ability. Um, so yeah, came back to UCD and said, right, knocked on the door of the University Observer. Hi, what can I do? Where can I go? What can I write about? And, and just started to get assigned a few stories. And, and as I said, was able to build up a portfolio then that allowed me to go on and do a master's in journalism. It, massive respect. No one can question whether you're a hard worker or not I, I tip my hat to anyone in that industry because it's a restless industry that like yeah it's I don't think it's something that I could do um it, it is restless it is restless it's uncertain and I did my master's in journalism graduated in 2007 and think about the change that media has has undergone in 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 those 14 years you know it's it's been very rocky and I don't think anyone would disagree with that from a editorial and from a commercial capacity the media landscape has really had it come at it from from every angle um but it is very exciting and i think that if you enjoy a little bit of turbulence then then it's the right industry for you that was going to be my question is there a is there a slight attraction to the uncertainty and restlessness of the industry for you i think so yeah i think so and um I think that unpredictable nature also presents opportunity. So uh, if, if things are very laid out in front of you, they seem quite formulaic, you can kind of map out the next 25 years of your career within certain sectors. Although I would I would say that the, the kind of days of that are probably a little bit numbered across the board in every sector and every industry. Mm. 
But, uh, you know, I think that then you've kind of got to toe the line a little bit and you've got to follow the sequence and, and you work your way up. And if you're good at what you do, yes, that's rewarded, but maybe at a slower pace. What I like about media and, and maybe similar industries that do have that bit of turbulence is that you can create great opportunities for yourself. You can really go after a certain space. You can have your finger on the pulse and you can say, look, this is a new platform or a new space or a new way of communicating that is really up and coming. And I'm going to focus on that. And I'm going to master it before anyone else does and then reap the benefits of that. Let's rewind the clock to 2007. Uh, you were working at DMG Media Ireland uh, as a features editor. Uh, you worked there for almost seven years and you said that, I'm reading a quote here, despite challenging market conditions, I enjoyed excellent career progression within the Irish Daily Mail. So what lessons did you take from your time at DMG? Did you feel like you improved any skills like copywriting, building rapport, asking the right kind of questions? What did you take from those seven years? Oh, without a doubt, you know, those seven years have anchored my career for a few reasons, but also because it gave me really exceptional editorial skills um and while now I'm I'm not a I'm not a writer I'm not a reporter but nevertheless having those really core communication skills um has been absolutely paramount I think as well working in an exciting newsroom um and seeing the dynamic that goes on in a newsroom is was also really formative um and I met some truly incredible people uh colleagues that are are now working with other media organizations or not working in media at all uh, but it was that kind of exposure, I think, to my first book of contacts, my first uh, time that I was able to build up um, relationships with people within mm. the industry, but also with your columnists and your freelancers and contributors and people who are in the public eye, you know, and, and being able to, I think, build that up over the seven years. I mean, there are still contacts from that time that I draw on now in some capacity. Um, and the Irish Daily Mail was, was quite a new entry to the market at the time. So it had a huge amount of excitement and it did have that disruptor factor. Um, and it was nice. I really liked being part of, a, a, I suppose, a bigger media organization. Uh, the Daily Mail has a, has a few different entities around the world, but HQ'd in, in London. Um, and that was exciting as well. I, li I liked that kind of global sense and that you were working hard for, for the Irish market and for an Irish reader. Um, but that also there was kind of other other parts of the, the machine that were operating at pace elsewhere in the world. Nice. We, we spoke 20, 2007. I'd like to jump forward 10 years to 2017. Joined Joe and her as a channel editor for her. And with all, within almost a year, you moved into the role of MD of her and the her family brands. You've got to manage a team of people in that particular role. And one thing... Uh, a lot of leaders who manage teams talk about they need to be aware of was potential blind spots, not focusing on lead generation, not building your bench, um, you know, not properly onboarding people. Um, are there a number of things, perhaps one or two things that you feel that you did well while in that role that contributed to the growth of the, her brand? Um, yeah, a few things. I mean, also, the environment was was really ambitious and was really fast paced. And, you know, as I mentioned about the Irish Daily Mail, when it entered the Irish market, the Joe and her brands were were still disrupting in, in 2017, you know, because they were still at an earlier stage of, of the of the business and of the brands. Um, 
So what I learned in terms of management, I think, is you have to roll up your sleeves and you, you, you have to be on the ground. And I think that applies whether you are maybe managing at a mid-level, a small team with a specialized skill set, or whether you're CEO of a large organization and you have hundreds, possibly even thousands of people that are working you know, for the organization that you're leading out. I do think that you need to show that you have an innate understanding of what the business is and how it operates. And to do that best, you do need to have eyes on the ground. Um, maybe that's probably not as, uh, as basic as sitting down at a desk uh, on a Monday morning if you're the CEO and turning on your laptop and, and getting to grips with the, the nitty gritty of the operational stuff. Mm. But nevertheless, I think it's really, really important. It's very important not to be removed, not to be in an office with the door closed and just on a cycle of meetings um, and doing very, very top level things. You know, you're ultimately, if you're in a leadership role, you're a decision maker and uh, you need to make that decision alongside your team. And sometimes you have to make decisions that aren't popular. But if you if you have the ultimate uh, goal in mind, if you're clear on what the objective is and, and if you're uh, if you're aware of, of how the team operates and what their concerns and needs and abilities are, then you can make good decisions. Mm. I, I did some research and during your time at that brand, um, it was Ireland's biggest platform for Irish women. I, I think it, it was 2.6 million unique monthly users, which is, I tip my hat to you for that. Um, but what do you think was different about what you guys were doing compared to, let's say, the more traditional publications? Did you have your finger on the pulse? Did you put an extra effort into building a relationship with the readers on campus sponsoring events what was it that like jesus 2.6 million unique monthly users is is really cool number. yeah no, it's a big, it's number. A big number and it was one that i i thankfully got to see the growth of during during my time you know in particular on the her and the her family brands i think tone of voice was hugely hugely important and something that i did learn from from the irish daily mail you know how you speak to the reader how you speak to your audience um and in a digital capacity that can be everything from a written, written word article to a social post to a piece of video to an entire show or an event. But if you have the right tone of voice and that consistency, and if you're able to speak to uh, an individual like you're a friend, like you understand them, make it relatable, make it consumable. And I think that her had that in bucket loads and, and we did that really, really well. And it just resonated, it landed well with the audiences. Um, and look, you know, Maximum Media at the time, it was such a such a powerhouse in terms of a, there was a very sophisticated network of social platforms. So if you did a piece of content and, and wrote something, if you did a feature, if you did a great piece of social video, you know, you, you could put it out on those platforms and you knew you'd get an awful lot of eyeballs on it. So it was there were powerful, powerful platforms and a powerful way to speak to to Irish women. Um, and, but ultimately it did all come down to tone of voice, you know, and, and sometimes we were taking stories that were well covered uh, via other media uh, organizations that it could have been an international story. It could have been, you know, a lifestyle or a celebrity focused story. Um, and in, in that sense, you're, you're kind of up against the UK or the US big boys because, uh, you know, for an Irish person, if they're interested in a breaking celebrity news, they can get it from from anywhere in the world. But how we made sure that they'd come back to her was was with that tone of voice, an Irish slant, um, you know, well, well written content, well constructed content, um, but always, always with that consistent tone of voice and that, that clear brand identity.
Brilliant. And and today you're now the founder and MD of Balter Media. So rather than me attempt to give your 30 second commercial, you'll do a better <laughs> job at it. Why don't you? So I help bring brands to market for the first time. Um, so that could be a startup, a scale up, or it could be an existing organization that's rebranding. And I look at every element of, of how we communicate that. So from the social assets to digital, to paid media, to earned media, to own media, the really 360 approach to getting a new product or a new offering out there for the first time. A lot of my clients, uh, they might be a year or two old, sometimes they're three or four years old, but they might have recently come into a round of funding or they've gotten private or uh, Enterprise Ireland investment and they suddenly have, uh, well, no, I shouldn't say suddenly, they've you know toiled to get to a point where they have a few quid and they're looking to strategically market what it is they do and, and how they're going to acquire ultimately their customers. And so I help them map that out and I help them bring their product to market and, and ultimately make a success for the business. Mm. I'm, I'm a believer that talk is cheap because many people can talk, but experience is what really counts. And, and you've got that in bucket loads. So if anyone's interested in, in learning more, I'll leave all the links, your site, your LinkedIn, everything below so they can connect with you. Because um, you do. All you need to do is take a look at your, your CV. And uh, uh, I'll move on straight from this, but you're an absolute rock star what you do. Thank you. It's been, you know, it's, um, I think in the past, uh, people have asked me how I how I went from, say, a features editor to a chief commercial officer at, at Joe and and then on to commercial director at, at Communicore prior to its sale to, to Bauer Media um, Ireland. And I think it, it, it's probably just uh, hard work, um, vision and frankly, sometimes reckless risk taking. But um, but here I am. It's paid off. It's paid off. Um... The, the flip side of that, though, is there, a, is there a skill when you started out in your career, so back in like 04 to kind of 08, um, that you weren't necessarily great at, but was critical for you to improve on if you wanted to thrive in that industry, uh, that you've now be, you're now confidently able to say, like, you worked on and improved and you're better at? And if so, what, what is it? Absolutely. And there's probably lots of things, but one thing that I definitely, as I've progressed through my career, that I have greater appreciation of is, is processes, right? And, th and that sounds kind of unsexy and it's maybe not all that exciting, but when you're ambitious and when you move at pace and when you just like to get things done, which I do, um, sometimes you can focus too much on the end goal and the outcome and not the journey to get there. Um, so I think that I now have a much greater appreciation having progressed through my career and matured truthfully that in order to get from A to B to C, you can't skip B, right? You, you've got to still focus on uh, how you get to, that, to the end point and making sure that you're giving adequate time and attention to all the elements that ultimately lead to a successful outcome. You can't just wing it, for want of a better phrase. You can't just say, well, the outcome is the outcome here we are now, you know, you, you have to have respect and you have to give time to the process uh, to get to a successful outcome or to get to an end point. And I think that over time, it's something that I've given a lot better appreciation to. And uh, I, I, I truthfully, I, I prioritize those processes now where in the past I didn't. I like that. Now being your own boss, do you have a favorite aspect of being your own boss? Uh, I think it's the the ownership of everything that I do and a real sense of 
pressure in the best possible way, but you you really are you are ultimately accountable for absolutely everything. And there's there's not there's no fallback. There's there's no external element that I can kind of heap the blame on if something goes wrong. So I, I quite like that ownership, truthfully, because it's very tangible that, OK, if I put some extra time into this, if I work really hard at that or if I, you know, get more up to speed on a new emerging element of what I do and, and I kind of master something and then I bring it into to a campaign or I bring it into the work that I'm doing with the client and I see that come to life. You know, that's there's that ownership, I think, is it, it's something to be really, really proud of within that. Um, so yes, it's pressurized, and and yes, as I said, there's there's no there's no kind of uh, additional layer to to kind of throw something back on. But but the other element of that is that you can you can really feel pride in in your work and 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 really you know take take full credit for it. Um, and I think that's really really nice. Um, you know, time management is the, I think the thing that probably everyone in the early stages of their businesses. Um, struggles with or, or certainly has to hone and get better at um so making sure that my days are really well planned out you know when you're in an office environment and when you're when you're an employee and, and you're working for an organization it just inherently your day is a little bit ma more mapped out and, and even that's if you're in a senior role or in a managerial role you know you're on a leadership team there's still a structure to the day that possibly doesn't exist when you're when you're going it alone and, and when you're setting up your own business so that's something that I'm continuing to work on and, and hopefully getting better at as well. Three to four more questions for you. Um, I know there's a lot of noise and opinions and everyone has their own opinion on different things, but is there a uh, commonly held belief about your role or industry you can choose that you, that you disagree with? Uh, that it's all down to luck. You know, that, that some people say that like success, either commercially or with marketing or advertising, it's all luck, you know, I mean, right place at the right time, or you happen to make a decision, or you just happen to meet the right person and you got a great deal out of it, or you got a great sale. Um, it's not down to luck, like, you know, circumstance, maybe, yes, circumstance helps us all. Um, but I truly believe that if you have the right skill set and the right uh, work ethic, and if you're willing to to stick with things and to take risks, then I think the luck comes to you. You know, lucky lucky people are also good at what they do, and they're also hard workers. So, um, yeah, I think I think that's a misconception. Don't don't put success down to luck. I like that. Um, have you got a personal definition of success? Um, what it means to you? You, you know, that's such an interesting question, and, and maybe this is going to sound like a cliche, but honestly, if you'd asked me this uh, pre-pandemic and pre-COVID, success to me would have been, uh, you know, achieving as much as possible, having a high profile, having a really senior role, um, having a great personal and professional reputation and, and earning lots of money, right, as a result. Um, and I do think the last 18 months success now to me looks like a little bit more balance uh, personally and professionally and I think it looks like having a smaller area of expertise that I can really own and be best in class at so not trying to you know scale too quickly not trying to cast the net too wide but being saying this is what I do and I do this really well and if someone comes to me and irrespective of what the budget is if they come to me and they're asking me to do something outside of that remit do you know what? No, it's not for me. And just to, to have a more streamlined and more simplistic um, view of success, actually, 
I think is uh, is a, a place that I've gotten to anyway over the last 18 months. And I think there's probably an awful lot of people in the same boat. If you were given the final decision-making power to add a mandatory subject to the second school curriculum that's not on it currently, what would it be and why? I, I think most people, when they probably answer this question, they come up with something really practical, like, oh, we should be all learning about how to manage our, our finances. But It's I, usually I, finance or business. Yeah, they use, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. No, I, I disagree. That's not the purpose of education. The The curriculum that's there and the subjects are on offer are are pretty broad, first of all, you know, like there's, I mean, there are dozens of subjects that you can study for your leaving search in all sorts of disciplines. But school is not about learning about finances. School is not about learning about business or how to be an entrepreneur. It is about learning about history. It's learning about classics. It's learning languages. You know, it's giving you skill sets to be able to research, to have opinions, to be able to make your voice heard, to be informed about the world. Like if you don't have those things, if you're just learning about business and money and finances and how to run successful organizations. I mean, where's, where's the foundation to that? So, you know, I spent the first 22 years of my life studying, well, maybe I didn't start at zero, but you know, my entire education from four to 22 um, was learning things that were in the art space that were, you know, that were languages, that were um, history, English, literature, you know, and, and, they are skills that I genuinely draw on now today. So I'm going to be the exception to the rule and say, nice. at least their curriculum is, is spot on. There's lots and lots of things to choose from. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. Um, but it's a, it's a good offering. And I don't agree with anyone, any 14-year-old learning about finances and budgeting and business. I'd like you to fast forward or imagine that we're talking in the year 2030 and you're looking back on the last decade. You can answer this personally, professionally, or a combination of both. But like, if you were to look back, pretending now is the year 2030, what would you like to be looking back on? I'd like to be looking back on a successful business that has grown um, and that really dominates that niche that I'm in, that startup and scale up, that people inherently are saying, I'm gonna knock on Bolter Media's door and I hope they let me in and take me on as a client because I've developed a brilliant business over the last two years and now I'm ready to bring it to market and I need their help to do it because they are the best in the business of what they do. You know, if I can get to that point and own that space, um, I'll be very, very happy. Gillian, it's been an absolute pleasure spending the last half hour with you. Uh, I'll, I'll leave links below to everything uh, if people wanna connect with you, um, but I wish you continued success going forward. Thank you so much, Rian. It's an absolute pleasure to be on and great to chat. If your metro don't trust you, I'm gonna show you. Beautiful morning, you're the sun of my morning, babe. Nothing in the 